be thankful for that and appreciative for how he's using our families to reach this world for Christ. Uh, we talked last week about how we can have a peace in our homes, that we can have a peace that goes beyond all understanding, that there doesn't need to be tension and, and strife in our homes, which is how the culture sees that. But we understand that in Christ, we can have peace in our homes. And we have peace in our homes because we have peace with God through Christ. And that peace individually overflows into our homes. And so we've covered a lot of ground in the last three weeks coming into this week. And so I want to encourage you, if you missed any one of the messages, you can go back online, uh, northgoodland.org or northgoodlandbc in your app store. You can get our app or go online. You can find all the messages and kind of go back and catch up on those other messages in the series so far. I also want to say that when we talk about these things and when I speak to all these aspects, and we're obviously not going exhaustive, there's many other things we can do uh, when we dive into each one of these weeks, I, I want you to know I am not standing before you as the one that has the perfect family. I just want to be clear on that. So often people sit in church and they hear a preacher say something and think, man, this or that thing that you said was so convicting. And I said, well, I wrote this message on Monday, so I've been convicted by that for six days before you heard it. So just so you know, everything you hear, if God's working in your heart through his word, it's for his glory. And these are things that God has been showing me through his word that I am prayerfully applying to our family, that I am prayerfully applying to my own life and to my marriage and to my children. And so this is not Pastor John's got it all figured out. Pastor John's got all the answers. This is we're all as the body of Christ striving to grow in Christ, striving to grow in a greater understanding of what can be in our families if we keep our eyes on Christ. And so I want to make that clear again. I know we talked about that in the very beginning, but I want to make it clear. This is not me coming with all the answers, all the solutions. Our family is just like your family. Right? We all have our good days and our bad days. Now, we pray that there are more good than bad. Amen. And we decide that, by the way. Your circumstances don't decide if your family has a good day or a bad day. You decide individually the kind of day you're going to have. And we need to stop blaming our circumstances for how we respond to things and realize that we control how we respond to things. And I've shared this before, but Nathan Raich, he was our Word of Life missionary for a little while, spoke at a men's event that we did, and he said something that radically changed how I think about the family. And he said this, speaking to men, to dads and to husbands, he said, when you come in your home, you have to decide, are you going to be a thermometer or a thermostat? He said, are you just going to read what's going on and just respond to that? Or are you going to set the temperature in your home? And that spoke to me so greatly in that men's event that we did. And, and I, I just always stick with me that when I walk into the doors of my house, I don't get to say, well, yeah, I did this because of this or you or that. No, no, no. If I come into my house and I decide I'm going to be a thermostat, and by God's grace and just because of his leading, I want to set the temperature of my home to be honoring to the Lord, then I'm going to be careful in what I say, how I respond, how I react, how I discipline and so again, not that I come in the house every day and do that. Some days I come in and I just react. And isn't it amazing how quickly we know which we are by the reaction of those around us? Someone told me one time, when you're correcting your children, look at how the dog's responding. And that might tell you whether you're being too harsh or not. Now, that's not a horrible piece of advice. And so again, as we talk about all this, we're all growing in this. This is not about looking at another family and going, I want to be like that family. Man, if I could be like the Corbett's, then everything would be great. If I could be like the Belasco's, then everything would be great. 
Here's the thing. You know what happens when you compare your family to someone else's family? You take everything you know about your family and the little bit you know about their family, and then you will always lose. You'll always lose. But I'm so thankful for a church that's striving to be like Christ, striving to keep our eyes on him, and graciously growing together for his glory. And so as we unpack this fourth week of our series uh, I want to, again, talk about the fact that some of you are in different situations. Younger people are here. Teenagers are here. Maybe you're like, well, I don't have a family, so can I just nap for the next 45 to 50-ish minutes? Um, no. Okay, this is still something that God can apply to your life. So apply, allow God to apply it to your specific situation. Because we're going to talk about some things this morning that I think God can apply to all of our lives, no matter where we are. Whether we're in a family, a young family, whether we're grandparents, whether we're single, teenagers, whatever we are, wherever we are in our life, God can apply these truths to our lives. So this morning, we're going to dive into talking about how we can learn to live in the culture. That as we talk about family focus and what can we learn or strive to learn this morning, we want to learn how to live in the culture. Now, how do we live in this culture as a follower of Christ? How do we effectively keep our eyes on Jesus in this world today? You see, our culture is a lot like the time of the early church. When you read the book of Corinthians, you're going to find out that there was a new teaching around every corner. That everywhere you went, there was a new philosophy, a new way of thinking, a new take on an old teaching. Now, we kind of believe this, but we've kind of tweaked it a little bit. Now it's more like that. And I think we live in a similar culture, and it's always been this way. There's always those that want to teach things that are contrary to God's word or a different take on God's word or a different approach to God's word. And I'm all for using different methods in communicating God's word, but God's word is God's word. I don't have the right, you don't have the right to change what it says. It doesn't matter what culture thinks, doesn't matter what your neighbor thinks, doesn't matter what anyone thinks. If the word says it, it's the word of God, it is truth. And we stand on that. But ever since Genesis 3, there's been this temptation from the enemy to lure us to kind of tweak what God said a little bit. Did God really say this or that thing? You see, the difference between our culture and the church or the early church culture is that these teachings, you used to have to go somewhere to hear them. I mean, you had to go out to the public square or to the marketplace. You had to go somewhere out in the community and and hear these strange teachings. You had to go to their temples or their religious centers. But now... All of this teaching, all of these strange and contrary to God word teachings are actually readily available in the palm of your hand. You see, these are, there are countless hours of videos teaching this or that philosophy. And our families and we as individuals are being exposed to so many things. Yes, we try and guard and restrict what they see, what our children see. By the way, you should be trying to guard and restrict what you see. I've talked to parents when I was doing youth ministry, and they would say, well, we don't let our kids watch these movies, but they keep asking if we can watch it. And I'll you to ask this, what do you watch? And they'll go, well, yeah, we'll watch stuff when they go to bed. And I'll say, do you tell them that? Well, sure. We'll say, well, we're going to watch this movie after you guys go to bed because it's not really for kids. And so so all you're really doing is telling them, it's still not really appropriate, but we'll just delay it until you're 18. You still really shouldn't watch this, but it's okay once you're 20 to put this garbage in front of your eyes. 
See, we, we say these things, but we have to apply these things. These weird teachings, these crazy ways of thinking are readily available, and it's exposed to us individually and to our children. And I agree, we should guard and restrict what our children see. And parents, a lot of parents I talk to are doing a great job of that. But here's the reality. Sooner or later, your families will be exposed to some ungodly things. Because we live in a fallen world. And we can try as best we can, but the, the solution isn't to isolate our families from the culture. We should use wisdom, discernment, age-appropriate understandings, of course. But the solution may be to see from God's word, how can we actually live in this culture and still keep our eyes on Christ and not compromise and give in to sin? So again, we try to guard and restrict and to see or to hear, what are you listening to? Not that, not this, but sooner or later, our children, our families will be exposed to these things. Not just different views of God, just straight deceptive messages, just straight falsehoods. I want to share a quote with you that was, Adrian Rogers said this in a sermon about 30 plus years ago. And I think, yeah. So I want to read through this quote with you. And this is so true today. It was true then and it's true now. I love this. There is a battle for the soul of America, a culture war, and the battleground is the home. This is over 30 years ago he preached this. You see, again, because it's not a new strategy of the enemy. It's just some things change, but the battle plan's still the same. So if we have his word and the battle plan's always been the same from the enemy, the solution's always been the same. So he goes on to say this. And the issue is truth. Satan is at the forefront of this war, and his chief weapon is deception. Do we agree with this? This is our culture today. He goes on to say this. Satan had rather get you to believe a wrong thing than to do a wrong thing. Satan had rather get you to believe a wrong thing than to do a wrong thing. A lie is the most dangerous thing on the face of the earth. It is antithetical to God, who is the truth whose word is truth. So Satan is the pusher of lies because thought is the father of the deed. Thought is the father of the deed. This means if we can believe a wrong thing, it will lead to wrong actions. And by the way, he names Satan as the one that wants us to believe a wrong thing. I agree a thousand percent with that. Jesus told Peter, Satan desires to sift you like wheat. But your flesh wants you to believe a wrong thing as well. James 1 tells us that very clearly. So many people are like, not today, Satan. Not today, Satan. Satan is so not concerned about you because you've given into your flesh so much. You are on the sideline living in sin. Satan doesn't care about what you're doing. But we want to blame Satan because it's easier to look at Satan and say, but he did, instead of looking in the mirror and saying, no, let the perfect law of liberty of Christ reflect back and expose what needs to be changed in me. So our flesh and Satan are warring against us. And what is the, the weapon? What is the main weapon being used? It's deception. His statement that Satan would rather have you believe a wrong thing than to do a wrong thing is true and eye-opening. The way we think will directly lead to how we live and act. Now, this is for any young people here today. How you think directly impacts how you live and act. And how you think is influenced by what you put before your eyes and what you put in your ears. And so the things you watch will encourage how you think and what you say and what you do. 
And this is for, by the way, all of us, but I feel as though young people have a tendency to think, well, that's not, that's not that big of a deal if I watch this movie or this show or this, and it's not a big deal if I listen to this or listen to that. It's all fine. It's not a big deal. You don't understand it's influencing the way you think. And how we think will lead to how we act. And so mom and dad, what are you putting before your eyes? What are you listening to? There is zero, I don't want to go too far on this. There is zero reason any follower of Christ, but specifically a husband or a wife, should watch anything where another man or woman is getting naked. Zero. Entertainment, whatever you want to say, zero. But yet so many couples will watch things that expose themselves to that kind of garbage. And then they wonder why their thought life is not right. Why they're tempted in areas they shouldn't really have to battle with to the degree they are because they're putting it in front of them. But it's okay because it's just entertainment. It's just a movie. It's just a TV show. How we think directly affects how we live. So how do we live in this culture? How do we learn to live in this culture as a follower of Christ and as a Christian family. I want to walk through some passages and I want to open our eyes to a couple of truths and then we'll kind of circle back and give you some application. All right. So I'm going to go through about four passages up on the screen and then we'll kind of walk through how this applies to the Christian family. So the first thing I want to look at, well, easy remote, one too many. Okay. The first one I'm going to look at John chapter 18, verse 36. Let's look at what the word says. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews? But now is my kingdom not from hence. Basic principle. What's Jesus saying? He has a kingdom and it's not of this world. And since his kingdom is not of this world, his servants are not of this world. He said, if my servants were of this, or if my kingdom was of this world, my servants would fight. They would battle for me. They would war for me. But they're not because I'm not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. Philippians 3 and verse 20, Paul writing to the church for our conversation. That word conversation in the original language means commonwealth, form of government, citizenship. So he says our commonwealth, our citizenship is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' kingdom, not of this world. His servants are a part of that kingdom, not of this world. Paul says, you in Christ, you're looking to heaven, awaiting the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's really where your citizenship is, is in heaven, not of this world. 1 John 2, 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, this doesn't mean you can be hateful to your neighbor, When it says love not the world, it's saying the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The motivations, the desires of the world, the things that drive the world way of thinking. We, as followers of Christ, we're not driven by those things because we're not of this world. 1 John 2.16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So there's a distinction here. That is being made. There's, there are those that are in this world and those that are not of this world. One more, I believe. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. So that world system, that way, world way of being, the ungodly nature of the world, the fallen world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith. 
Who is he that overcomes the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So how do we have victory over this world? Meaning this world that we're in right now, the fallen world. We have it through faith in Christ. You see, salvation is not in my works to overcome. My overcoming is only accomplished through the finished work of the cross, which I place in faith or by faith in Christ. Salvation is by faith through grace. It's not of works. I don't overcome because I'm good enough. I overcome because I put my faith in the one whose kingdom is not of this world. And in so doing, I become a citizen of that kingdom. So now, as a follower of Christ, we're not of the world. And so how do we unpack this? Well, I want to walk through the first thing here, the tension of the Christian family. There's a tension here for the Christian family. And that we are to be in the world. And we'll talk about in just a moment here that we're not of the world. So there's a tension here of the Christian family. We are in the world, but Jesus just made it very clear. The word of God makes it very clear that we are not citizens of this world, but of the heavenly kingdom. And so there's a tension there. There's a, there's a pull and a push of that binding of being in the world, but knowing spiritually we're with him in Christ in heaven. You see, believers in Jesus Christ are simply in the world, physically present, but not of it. What do we mean? Not of its values, not of its way of thinking. God has placed our families in this world at this moment by his design and for his purpose. I hear so many Christians talk about, man, I wish I could have lived and they'll name a time. And I understand that because it's appealing, right? It's just something about it seems appealing. It just seems more enjoyable, Okay, and I understand that. But do you realize that God has placed you right here, right now, by his design? You didn't just happen to stumble into this decade or this generation. He designed with his purpose you to be here right now, to live where you live, to be in the family that you're in with the opportunities that he's given you to make an impact for Christ. See, he has designed all of this. We might feel at times as we look around the culture that there is no hope or chance for God to work in our world. We might long for a pastime when things were simpler or better. I understand that longing, but we have to understand that those times that you think of were just as wicked, just as fallen, just as broken as they are now. Because it's a Genesis 3 problem, not a 2023 problem, Right? The reason our culture is what it is has nothing to do with being 2023, has everything to do with Genesis 3, the fallen nature. Again, if we truly believe the doctrine of providence, which just literally means that God has orchestrated all of this for his glory and his purpose, we will see our opportunities in this world today as a blessing and not a burden. If you believe God is orchestrating all of this for a greater purpose, then you will see every single day. And I know what you're thinking, but you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know where I work. You don't know my neighbors. You don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. You don't know my kids. I get all that. There are daily struggles. Remember what Jesus said? Every day will bring troubles. But then what does the Bible tell us? Every day my mercies are new. Every day my grace is available. See, he does not leave us without his mercy and grace. And every day can be a blessing that we see as God's design to impact this world for Christ. Right where you are. God has great plans for you and your family. Nothing is by accident. This is all by his design. 
And what is that plan? It may or may not be for you to get that house. It may or may not be for you to get that vacation spot. It may or may not be for you to get the promotion. I don't know what the specifics for your individual life are, but I can tell you generally the plan, the purpose he's working is for his glory and your blessing and that others would come to know Christ. Like that's, that's the general biblical outline that God will always be glorified, that he will bless those who trust in him and that others may come to know Christ and join into that family of Christ, the body of Christ. And so again, these are the reasons we're planted in this community right now. So I want you to ask yourself, you don't need to answer out loud, but some basic evaluation questions. I know we're not at the invitation yet. Don't get too excited. You're like, is he already at the application? Are we, this is invitation? Really? No, just a midpoint, maybe early midpoint. Okay. I don't want to be deceptive here, but a, a midpoint question to kind of think about. I want you to think about this for your own family or your own self individually. Where has God planted your family, meaning location? What's your community? Where has he planted you in the community? What relationships has he brought into your life? What friendships and connections has he allowed into your life that you see now, not as just friends to hang out with, but these are discipleship opportunities. These are chances to share Christ. These are evangelistic opportunities to make a difference. What career has God placed you in where you go to work every day and you have opportunity to talk to people? How about the career that he brings into your life that you work now gives you financial availability, not to be frivolous and wasteful as our world is, but to think through how do I spend our money? Why do we spend money on this and that and not that? How can I use the finances that God has given me to advance the purposes of Christ? It may not be, okay, I'm just going to tithe more. I mean, that'd be fine, but it may not be that. It may be God laying on your heart to help a family in need or to help someone with groceries or to take on a missionary all on just your family. Maybe you go somewhere and do a ministry not to, to put all over social media to brag about what you did, but you just go because you can and God has given you opportunity. Maybe you work in a field where you don't have to go to a location. You can work from home. Man, what a blessing if you have children at home and you can kind of be around them and interact with them. Maybe you travel a lot for work and that's just how God has arranged it right now. Instead of lamenting that, think, God, okay, as I go on this next trip, help me to interact with those in the hotel. Help me interact with those on the road. Help me to interact with those I'm going to come in contact with. Every meeting, can I bring glory to you? If we start thinking this way about where God has placed us, we will realize we are placed in this world for a purpose. You are in the world, physically present. In whatever way God has given you, Take advantage of it. You see, we cannot isolate our families away in the church and forget that we have been given a great commission to reach this world for Christ. Through prayer, sharing our faith, giving to missions, gathering to encourage the body, all possible because we are in the world. I've, I've talked to Christians that have this kind of us for and no more mentality, which is let's just get into the church and huddle in together and the world can just literally go to hell and we're just going to hang out in here because we're fine and we're good and we don't really know what else to do. We're just going to hide in here and, and we're all agreement with each other and it's so hard out there. No, that is not what we're called to do. 
Now we come together as the body of Christ to be encouraged and strengthened in the word. And I encourage you to come as much as possible to be given the word and encouraged in the word so that we can go out into the world that he has placed you in and make an impact for Christ. This doesn't mean preaching 45 minute messages to your coworker at work when they're supposed to be working. Don't be a bad testimony in the name of Jesus. Amen. But maybe at lunch you have five minutes and you say, hey, can we hang out after work today? Can we go do this? Can we go do that? Can we just get some coffee and take some time to really explain things to them? However, God is working this. There's a purpose that he's put you in the world for a purpose. So we are in the world. Okay. There's a tension. Be in the world, but not of the world. And that's the great tension of the Christian family. That's the tension of living in this culture. I'm in the world. I'm physically present. I have relationships and interactions with people who don't agree with me and my belief. They don't think like I think. They're so different than me. But God has placed me here for a purpose. So I'm supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. We referenced it even last week, but you can jot it down again. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And this is in the notes online. If you want to follow along, I should have said this probably about 20 minutes ago. But if you want to follow along, there's notes on the app. You can follow along. We are not to be conformed to the world's way of thinking, their motivations, and their desires. That we are in the world, but we're not of the world. We don't, we're not driven with what they're driven with. And it's not a us better than them thing. It's a we're keeping our eyes on Jesus and they don't know any other way. Because they're just living for this world. But we're citizens of a higher world, a higher kingdom. And our eyes are on that kingdom. And that's what we're driven with. We must allow our values, morals, and goals to be shaped by the Spirit working in us through the word and prayer. It is so amazing to hear that Christian families are marked as different or unique in their communities, or even in their larger families by comparison. I love hearing Christians tell me, yeah, my aunt or my uncle or my grandparents think it's so weird that we're so committed to church. They think it's so weird that we pray. They think it's so weird that our kids involved in uh, junior church, or they go on Wednesday night, or they're memorizing Bible verses, and they just think that's so strange. I love that. Let them think it's strange. Let them think and mark you as different families that decide, you know what, we're just not going to be a part of that because we just can't compromise our values and morals to go to that event or to watch that or to be a part of that. And we're going to stay our family back. And it might hurt some feelings, but at the end, our family, Genesis 2, husbands and wives, leave your father and mother, cleave unto your wife, become one flesh, one new family. So if grandma and grandpa don't understand why you can't go because there's things there that you don't agree with and you don't want to expose your children to, that's not up to you to defend. You say, we love you. And we want to be there. But this, this, and this, our children just can't be around that. We're just not going to bring them to that. It's just not something we're going to do. I'm really sorry. But these are the values we hold as a family. Be marked as different. Be marked as unique. Now, I'm not talking about being marked as different and unique and then put it back in their face like we're better than you, holier than thou. That's, that, that's not what we're talking about. We can humbly and graciously say we're just not going to be able to be a part of that. And we love you guys, but we just can't go. And again, so many families, Christian families, are feeling this tension of even pressure from within the family to compromise values and morals and things of that nature. And we have to understand that we are accounting to our King, our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he has led you in a conviction, we hold to that by his word for his glory. And if others don't understand, that's okay. 
It's not legalism. We don't beat people up if they have different convictions. We just strive to live in the way that God has called us and we show grace to those who think differently. You see, we have all heard that Christian and non-Christian families look the exact same. However, if you actually study the statistics, that is not true. And I've heard this before. People would just lump in anyone who claims to be a Christian with even those who are born again, true believers in Jesus Christ. And it skews the numbers horribly. Somebody that says they're a Christian because they go to church has a very different moral and value system than somebody says, I'm a Christian because I've placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and I'm driven by his word. Those are two very different Christians. One is a Christian, one is not. But we use that title. You see, I've just recently been hearing more and more about the vast differences that are actually being seen among statistics between true born-again followers of Jesus and the so-called Christians in our world today. There is a vast difference being portrayed in the homes of Christ followers for his glory. Again, if your family is labeled as strange or weird because you do not do some of the things your friends do, that's okay. As parents, our responsibility is to lead our families at God's desires, not as the culture demands. So we lead our families as Christ desires, not as the culture demands. And so if your child, your teenager, and young people, I know this is going to be hard to hear. But if your teenager comes to you and says, I don't understand why we can't do that. You sit with them and you try to explain from scripture why we do this and why we do that. And you show grace. And at the end of the day, they say, well, I don't still agree with that. That's fine. You don't have to agree to obey. We obey because Ephesians 6 says, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Trust your parents are leading you in a Christ-like way and submit to their authority. Honor God through honoring them and in your submission to them. And watch God grow you in amazing ways. And mom and dad, be on your knees, be in the word, seeking wisdom and guidance on how God would have you to lead your family. You see, as we are in the world, but not of the world, how do we teach our children to live in a culture, but not be of the cultural norms and dishonor the Lord? That's the tension. We're in the world, we're not of the world. So we understand that, but how do we now teach that or communicate that to our families or to our children? Well, we see the call to disciple our families. We are called to disciple our families as followers of Christ. So how do we do that? We teach through training. We teach through training. I love this passage. And I'll explain the context in just a moment, but I want to pull the principle out of this. John chapter 17, verses 14 through 15. John chapter 17, what is this? This is the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is right before the cross. So he's praying to the Father, and he's actually praying for his disciples right here. He's speaking about his specific immediate disciples, the 12. Right after this, he prays for you and I, because he says, I pray for those who believe on their word of me, which is the church. And before this, he prays to the father for himself, the glory of the father would be shown through him. And so this is an amazing small section of that, but I encourage you to go read John 17 on your own. But he says here, I've given them thy word and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest taking them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep, it, keep them from the evil. Now, some have said that means the evil one, but however you want to look at it, whether it's the evil one meaning Satan or the evil that's in the world, we understand that what is Jesus modeling here for us? He trained his disciples. He taught his disciples. He prepared them. And I love what he prays. He says, I don't want you to take them out of the world. Now, one day he will take us out of the world. Amen. We will see him, we'll be like him, we'll be taken home. 
But Jesus' prayer is these disciples don't take them out of the world. In fact, would you leave them in the world? And there's that tension, in the world, not of the world. Then he says, but keep them from evil. That means that if we will keep our eyes on the Lord and follow the things that he lays forth, we can overcome the sin that comes into our lives. I'm not saying we'll be perfect, but we will sin a whole lot less when we're keeping our eyes on him and instead of on ourselves. So he teaches us through training. I think that's the next screen. Yeah, okay. So here we have this idea of teaching through training. If we want our families to live in the world, but not be of the world in their thinking, motivations, and desires, we must do what Jesus did and train them. Jesus prayed to the Father for his disciples that God would keep them in the world physically, but that they would be kept from evil, meaning spiritually guarded against these temptations. So we have to ask a question. If that's a possibility, then how does God keep us from evil? How does God keep us from evil? Well, he gives us his spirit and salvation, number one. He gives us his word. So he gives us his spirit that dwells us at the moment of salvation. He gives us the word before us. The author of the word, the spirit, will bring those things to our understanding and will be directed by the word. Then he also gives us the church. And he gives us the church to help us walk in the spirit so that we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Knowing that no temptation has taken you, but that which is common to man. Giving us a way to endure than temptation. We see this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Galatians 5, 16. You see, he gives us his word. He gives us his spirit. He gives us the church, all gifts of salvation, all through grace. And when we gather as the body of Christ, we can, as Hebrew says, provoke one another into love and good works. We can help each other guard against temptation and things that want to pull against us. When we know a brother and sister is sharing something and it sounds like they're being pulled by a temptation or a distraction, we can come alongside them and encourage them and pray for them and love on them. And it happens within the context of the church. Individually, we go to the word and we can also understand that we can spend time with him in his word and be uh, lifted up and edified by the spirit. He also teaches us as another way to guard against evil, to pray and put on the whole armor of God to stand against the evil one. If Jesus was meaning the evil one, meaning Satan, he tells us in Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God that you might stand against the wiles of the devil, the attacks of the devil. Guard your mind with the helmet of salvation. Guard your heart with the breastplate of righteousness that is not found in your ability, but in Christ. What does he say? I will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. My heart comes against me emotion. First John four, greater is he than my heart. If my, my feelings want to betray me and pull me into temptation. Nope. I'm guarded in Jesus Christ. And so again, we see this armor of God and this gift of prayer leads us to be guarded against these temptations. And we can communicate all of this to our children. We can train them up and disciple them by showing them these things in God's word, by bringing them together with the body of Christ. Notice again, Jesus said it in verse 14, I have given them your word. He taught them the word and he demonstrated it before them. Not only did he teach them the word and demonstrate what that looked like before them, he also gave them opportunities to apply the word. He allowed them to apply the word that he just taught them. Okay, you guys ready? We need some laborers in the harvest. Would you guys pray about that? The disciples, yeah, sure, we'll pray about that. By the way, he's giving them the word of God there. They pray about it. And then Jesus, in the very next chapter, Matthew 10 says, okay, go. And they're like, what? 
Well, didn't you just pray about I would send forth laborers into my harvest? Sure, Jesus. Okay, did you mean it? Well, yeah. Okay, you're the laborers. Now go. Do you see how we use the word of God and prayer to soften the heart and the mind so that we'd be receptive of the calling that he puts on your life? That now you'll go willingly and joyfully? You see, he gave them the word. He demonstrated the word before them, what it meant to walk with God, what it meant to pray. Uh, Luke, Lord, teach us to pray. He demonstrated it before them, but then he gave them opportunities to apply the word. And here's the thing with your children. You're going to give them opportunities to apply the word. Give them opportunities to grow and make choices and make decisions and to make some decisions on their own about how they're going to maybe manage their time or do this or that thing as they begin to grow. And here's the thing. When they fall short, be like Jesus and give gracious correction. When you ask your kids, did you pray this morning? They say, well, I tried to, but I kept falling asleep. I know a story about that. Let me take you there. He says, get up and pray. Could you not pray for one hour? They tried again. They fell asleep. You know what? Go ahead and take your rest. You need it. Grace, gracious correction. One author said it best when he said this, to teach without training is to fail at your task. To teach without training is to fail at your task. When we teach our children how to walk with Christ without giving them practical tools, resources, and our example, we are setting them up for frustration and potential failure. Again, let's go back. They make their own choices. They make their own decisions. You are not responsible to make your children grow. Just like no one is responsible to help and make you grow. You grow individually in the Lord. But again, when we see these opportunities, we're doing all that we can to help come alongside them, to instruct them. Again, this is where people want to quote Proverbs 22.6. But again, the problem is that's not a promise, it's a proverb. Generally speaking, a wise principle is if you teach your children to keep their eyes on the Lord, when they're old, they'll come back to that way of thinking. But that is not a guarantee. And too many parents have been guilt beaten, torn down because their kids went prodigal and they did everything they could. And they go, well, yeah, but if you had just done better, they had been fine. It's also not a promise that a wayward child will return. It's a general proverb, a wisdom principle that says, if we do this, the good chance is most likely this will be the outcome. So we do all we can by giving them tools and resources and helps to come alongside them and guard them and guide them into these truths. So what can we do? Some practical tools to help disciple your children. Not exhaustive, but quickly. Age-appropriate daily devotionals. You want a great resource to help your children walk with the Lord? Supply them with age-appropriate daily devotionals. And by the way, Word of Life, there's all kinds of great resources, but Word of Life, one of the reasons we are a Word of Life ministry is because of the daily devotionals. We absolutely love that they provide that for age-appropriate levels, first and second grade, all the way down to even four- and five-year-olds, second and thir- or third and fourth, fifth and sixth, and then teen and adult. When they are young, we, I would encourage you, do their devotions with them. You have a four-, five-, six-year-old, seven-year-old, maybe you're doing the devotions with them. But as they grow... As they get to an age where you feel it's appropriate, I would encourage you, not exhaustively, you don't have to do this, but I would encourage you, let them develop a personal devotional life. Instead of you going and sitting with them and walking them step by step through, when they hit an age where you feel like they're pretty well to understand these things, they can obviously read the text, they can kind of understand these things, they can understand the questions, say, we're going to invite you to spend this time with the Lord on your own. Why? Because mom and dad, you're not always going to be there. 
And you want your child to learn these things, but then also become independent in their personal devotional life where they're on their own. You might say, hey, you need to go do your devotions because it's this time to do, we're all doing devotions or whatever it might be in your family. And they just go and do them. Or maybe you just happen to stumble across the dining room table and they're sitting there doing their devotions and you didn't tell them to do it. Is there any greater joy as a mom and dad or a grandparent to see your kids in the word of God? Not because you said, go do your devotions, but because they chose, hey, it's morning. I need to get in God's word. And so again, spending time with them. But by the way, the greatest way they're going to see that is by seeing you in God's word, you doing devotions, you talking about those things. So again, age appropriate daily devotions, great resource. Set a daily established time of prayer and keep it for your family. As mom and dad, you set a daily time. We will pray as a family at this time every day and then strive as hard as you can to keep it. Maybe it's right before bed. Maybe it's first thing in the morning, whatever it might be, whatever works for your schedule. Again, showing your children how valuable prayer is for their lives that when they're not with you, they're spending time in prayer, spending time in the word. Attend church regularly with them, with them. I know you might think, well, who wouldn't trust me? We live in a church culture today where a lot of parents are just dropping off and I'll see you in an hour. No, attend church with them. Why? Because you're explaining to them, not through your words, but also through your training, that church is a high priority as a family. Yes, when they are young, you may not say much. But as they grow, keep that habit. By the way, if you explain why and they still want to fight going to church and they live under your roof, they go to church. I'll never forget, I had a a parent when their son, I think, hit 16. They came to me one Sunday and they said, hey, our son doesn't really want to go to church anymore. What should we do? What do you mean? Well, he doesn't really want to go anymore. So should we like, like, does he go to school? Yeah. You going to make him go to school tomorrow? Yeah. Does he want to go to school tomorrow? No. Hmm. Yeah. So what do you do when your child says, I don't want to go to church anymore? And you've explained why it's a priority to go to church. You put him in the car and you take him to church. Because you understand and they maybe don't understand fully why it's so valuable to be with the body of Christ. And so again, children, when they get to a certain age, they can make their own choices. Make their own choices. I'm not saying you do this when they're 25 or 30. They make their own choices. But when they're under your roof, we set the example. And again, I don't know why we are so fearful. As people say, well, if you force your kids to go to church when they're kids, they'll run from church when they're older. That is not true. If you force your kids to go to church without explaining to them why we go to church, or you model one thing at home and one thing at church, and they see the hypocrisy, they'll run from church when they're older because they see hypocrisy. But if you explain to them why this is a value, why this is a priority, they have a personal walk with Christ. It's not just going to church. It's prayer. It's Bible study. It's all kinds of things that you're encouraging. They will continue to walk with Christ. And by the way, it's over 90%. If dad is in church and dad is in the word and dad is praying, the family will be in church. The family family will pray and the family will be in the word. And that's just statistic. That's just truth. What else can we do to help our children to live in this culture, but not be of the world? We ask questions about what they are learning in church and their devotionals have time to discuss with them, which leads to our last point. We teach through conversation. We teach through conversation. I have found that the best way to help children learn is to, to live in the culture as a follower of Christ and not be of the culture is to have real, genuine, and even difficult conversations with them. 
Be real with your children. This doesn't mean that we share things that are not age-appropriate. But so many want to ignore their children's questions at 8, 9, and 10 or give overgeneralized, broad answers out of fear of, I don't want to say the wrong thing. Your children and your grandchildren are very intelligent and able to comprehend more than you realize. Have conversations with them. Uh, the reason there's 20-somethings right now that are walking away from the church is because they feel as though nobody could answer my question. Nobody validated my question. They just ignored it when I was 8, 9, 10, 11, and I realized either you don't have an answer or you don't care to answer the question, which means I don't matter. Again, it might be a question at the dinner table, a text, or a conversation in the car about something a friend said, something they saw on TV, something that was said at school, something a family member said, something that happened at youth group. It could be any number of things, any number of ways that your child or grandchild says, hey, mom, hey, dad, hey, grandma, hey, grandpa, I was thinking about this. And age-appropriate, in the right context, have a conversation. Take advantage of those moments. Don't talk down to your children, but respect them and give them an honest, thoughtful, biblical response. One of the biggest frustrations among those that are deconstructing in our culture today, which is a common kind of catchphrase. Again, we don't need to deconstruct if we're built on the route foundation. But again, there are those who are deconstructing. They're walking away from their faith. In this generation is that they believe that their questions aren't really being answered sufficiently. Now, they may also be looking for an excuse to walk away, but others might genuinely want to know what does the Bible actually say about this? Why do we as a family do this? Why don't we do that? Instead of just saying, because I said so, and again, age appropriate, there are some times where you've explained and they still want to be, it's just because now we're just doing it. I'm not disagreeing with that, but we need to have a conversation genuinely want them to know why we as a family hold to these values. You see, we are living in a culture that is in vast opposition to the things of God. That statement has been true since Genesis 3, that we are living in a culture that is vastly against the things of God. And yet God has planted you and your family, me as an individual, you as an individual, in this culture currently for his glory and your blessing. We can learn to be families that are in the world but not of the world by teaching through training and conversations. The word of God is sufficient for faith and practice. What does that mean? It gives us all that we need to know about the belief about God and how to live for him in his glory. It's sufficient. It's there. It's available to us. And he gives us our sp the spirit to know the word. That means that we can look to the word for guidance and answers for the tough questions and cultural pull to self and sin. God has a plan and a purpose for your family right now. So all I can encourage you with is this. I know it's tough to live in the culture we live in, but we should get excited about the opportunities that God has given us. We should be thankful for the blessing that we have that we live in this culture at this time for his glory. And I know it's tough. I know when we're raising children in this world, there's so many things that want to pull away from their relationship with Christ. And my encouragement to you is remind them that they are in the world physically, not of the world spiritually through Christ, and that we can teach them through training and have those conversations so that they will grow in Christ. And one day they'll develop their own personal devotional life and begin to walk with Christ. And by the way, when they ask you that tough question that you don't have an answer to, you can say, I don't know. I don't know. And how refreshing is that, that they know that their question is too tough for mom and dad, then that might mean 
it's something that they might battle with when they're older and all the answers won't be there and that's okay. And so we walk with them, we encourage them, and we pray over them, expecting God to do great things for his glory. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right there where you are. And we're going to have a time of invitation this morning. And as we do have a time of invitation, I'm going to ask you right there where you are, as the praise team comes and is going to lead us in a song of praise. And uh, I want to give you a time for reflection. And I know we talked through a lot of content this morning, but my prayer is that you will walk from this place this morning encouraged to know that in Christ you are in this world, but you are not of this world, that your kingdom, your citizenship, your home is in heaven, guaranteed through Christ. And one day we'll leave this world and be joined to our home country and we'll see our Savior face to face. We'll be full of joy and peace and wonder. But until that day comes, we have been planted with purpose here in this world to experience great joys and blessings and all the fullness of life. But also, there are going to be trials and difficulties. And one of those difficulties is living in a fallen world with the tension and the pull towards things that would take us away from the Lord. And our families are feeling that. Individually, we're feeling that. So we just keep our eyes on him. We remind ourselves of where we really or rather who we really are, what our home really is. And we walk with our children and our families. We train them, we instruct them and disciple them by example. And we have those conversations. We talk through those things for God's glory. So however God might apply this to your life right here where you are, maybe you would respond as we pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time of being in your word. I pray that you would use your word this morning, Lord, to just encourage hearts and minds, Lord, that you would work in and through this this morning service, that you would help us to keep our eyes on you, Lord, uh, that you would give us wisdom in how we train and disciple our families, how we individually are being trained and discipled by you, by the Spirit, through your word. And Lord, we can't give what we don't have. So I pray you'd help us to grow in our personal walks that it might overflow into our families' lives. And so, Father, again, may you be glorified. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and personal Savior, I pray, Lord, that you would just work in that, draw them under repentance, they would come to know Christ. Father, give you all the praise and all the glory, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we respond to the message this morning through a time of invitation? Would you come and pray? Mom and Dad, you want to come and pray and say, Lord, give me wisdom and guidance in this. Individually, you want to come and say, Lord, help me to know that I'm in the world but not of the world that I might keep my eyes on you and whatever you have for me. Whatever God is doing, would you respond as we sing this?